Well, last week in Ephesians 1-7, we looked at in Him. We're going to take some time at some point and look at in Him. But in Him is the redemption through His blood. And we looked from Genesis all the way to Revelation and saw how it was necessary that God came in human flesh and that He bled for our sins as a sacrifice. And now through His blood, we continually are washed. Even when we sin, even before we ask for forgiveness, He is being our faithful shepherd, our faithful husband-to-be, our faithful dad, our faithful priest. And He is making sure that we are without blemish, without spot, through His blood. And this great gift of cleansing you from all sins is not just for us, it tells us in 1 John 2, but it's for the whole world. Whoever will come can come. And God will have such a relationship with them, cleansing them from all their sin, keeping them cleansed, ready to present them to the Father for all of eternity. Well, we come to that second part of Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, and here it is, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The forgiveness of sins. Do we really understand what this means? In Him we have redemption from our sins, and there is nowhere else to go that can give us those forgiveness of sins. There is no possible redemption outside of Jesus and His redeeming blood. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, it says this, Therefore, let us be known to you, brethren, that through this man Jesus is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what does the forgiveness of sins mean? <clears throat> to wipe away that slate clean from all our sins. To wipe away all our sins. To make that slate clean. To pardon us. To cancel our debt. So when we wrong somebody, we seek forgiveness in order that that relationship would be restored. Forgiveness is not granted because one deserves to be forgiven. No one deserves to not be forgiven. Forgiveness is an act of love, mercy, kindness, and grace. So in Christ, forgiveness, we also have the one who also takes away the shame of our sins. Takes away the guilt of our sins. Christ wants us to be guilt-free and then to remain guilt-free permanently. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19 explains that this forgiveness of sin is more than just being minimally forgiven, but all the shame, all the guilt, all the power of the past yucky baggage is gone. In Micah 7, 18 and 19, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain 
anger forever. Because he delights in mercy, he will again have compassion on us, will subdue or to conquer our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And then, of course, in Psalms 103, 12, he said he also scatters our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, we can go to the North Pole and South Pole, but you can't go to the East Pole or the West Pole. Because east and west never meet. They're infinitely going east, infinitely going west. So the Bible tells us we are all in need of forgiveness from God because we have committed sins against God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. A hundred percent of everyone has sinned. In Romans 3.23, all have sinned. 1 John 1.8, he who says we have no sin, he de- we deceive ourselves. And that truth, and truth cannot be in us. All sin is ultimately an act of rebellion against God. As a result, we are desperately in need of God's forgiveness. If our sins are not forgiven... We will spend eternity pain and suffering for the consequences of our sins. Thankfully, God, in his loving mercy, he is eager to forgive us of our sins. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord, who is long-suffering, patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires to forgive us, so he provided a way for our forgiveness. The only just penalty for our sins is death. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal death is what we all have earned for our sin. God in his perfect plan became a human being in Jesus Christ. God in Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking our penalty of our sins that we deserved, which is death. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, here it is, in him, in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve. And because Jesus is God, who became in human flesh, his death provided forgiveness, not just for one person, but for the entire world, all people of all generations. So Jesus was 100% God in spirit, so all that he did was eternal. Jesus was 100% man in human flesh, therefore he could be a substitute for man. In 1 John 2.2, 2, he himself is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. This is a word invented in English from the Greek and the Hebrew, which is a word saying the blood being spilt upon the mercy seat in that tabernacle in heaven. And of course, that mercy seat is the throne of God. And there he paid in His blood was taken into the heavenlies, it tells in Hebrews. So he himself is the propitiation, the atoning blood sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. 
This is the wonderful thing. There's not this big, giant selection. Anybody that wants this, God wants them to have it. So we can literally go to every person on the earth. It doesn't matter how deep their sins. It doesn't matter how numerous their sins. It doesn't matter how horrible their sins. Christ will forgive them. Jesus rose from the dead, proclaiming his victory over sin and death. Praise God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the second half of Romans 6.23 can now be ours. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. So you don't want to have, if you want to have your sins forgiven, you don't want to have this nagging feeling of guilt that you can't get rid of. Forgiveness of your sins is available if you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And again, here in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his great grace. Grace is giving you a gift you do not deserve. We do not deserve forgiveness. It's on that person forgiving us out of the riches of their heart of grace. So Jesus paid our debt for us so that we could be forgiven. All you have to do is ask God to forgive you through Jesus. Believe Jesus died as your payment for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. Probably the most well-known verse of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, the reaction to man, especially Americans, we're self-made. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We take the bull by the horns and make it happen. And so in our mind, when something is without your effort, it doesn't feel right. And so it's easy for us as Americans and really people throughout the world to create a more difficult way of salvation. One that includes more of our efforts. One in which if we don't accomplish it correctly, we fell, it's off, it's over. It's been taken away or never really happened. So when we look at John 3, 16, whoever believes in him. Well, what does that mean? Can it really be that easy? Yes, you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You cannot pay for God's forgiveness. You can only receive it as a gift. Well, that seems very humbling. Yes, it is. We're in prison. We are on our way to hell. And there's zero that you can do about it. As a matter of fact, there's zero that anybody, creature in heaven or creature on earth, can do about it. Except for one, Jesus, because of his love. We can only receive it as a gift from God by faith in the grace and the mercy of God. 
So how do you re receive forgiveness? You simply believe. There's so many people that want to add to that word believe. Something more than just believing. They want to say something like, well, belief also infers that you are willing after you believe to live a committed, faithful Christian life. So now we have said, whoever believes in him, and now we add to it a behavior. So now believing simply in Jesus isn't simply believing in Jesus. It's believing in Jesus and afterwards we will observe what you do with your behavior towards Jesus. Belief has to do simply with believing. The condition for eternal life, you won't perish, but have eternal life, is believing in Jesus, not behaving in Jesus. What does believe mean? It means simply this, that you are convinced something is true. Or you are persuaded that it is true. That's it. Which makes completely sense when you realize the first time somebody ever believed in Jesus, we go back to Genesis 15, 6. Sorry, this one isn't in your notes. It's a freebie. But back in Genesis 15, 6, before that, Abraham was moaning to God saying, I guess I'm not going to have kids after all. I'm way too old. My wife's way too old. And I guess this guy from Damascus I got, my right-hand man, Eliezer, is going to be the one to have the lineage with. It'll be him and his descendants. And God said, Abraham, go outside. He left his tent. Look at the stars of the heavens. Yes? That's how many kids you're going to have. Okay. And it says in Genesis 15, 6, that God accounted his faith as righteousness. Well, hold it. That doesn't make sense. What did he have to do? <laughs> this is the point. He looked at his body. I can't do it. He looked at his wife's body. She can't do it. We in ourselves cannot produce children unless God does it as a miracle. And Abraham, it says in Romans 4, in against hope, <laughs> in hope he believed. Because his wife would be 90 years old. And Abraham a hundred. It was humanly impossible. Only possible with God. Just like later when we would believe in Christ. Now we'll see Abraham believing in Jesus and a lot of things. We saw in Genesis 22 where he, God says, Now take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him. But he knew through Isaac my descendants shall be. God had told him that word. That one little phrase. And so once again, he says, sure, I'll take him up there. And again, it tells us in the New Testament that Abraham knew that God 
would have to raise him from the dead if he really did allow him to be killed. So he wasn't actually going to be killing his son, just temporarily stopping his life. <laughs> but he, it wouldn't be the end of him. He wouldn't be walking off that Mount Moriah with a dead son. He actually told his servants, stay here at the bottom of the hill. Me and the lad shall return. He had faith that God would raise the dead. And remember before he killed the sacrifice, God held his hand back and said, God will provide, I hate this in the New King James and modern translations, it says, for himself a sacrifice. But literally it says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. A clear prophecy of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we need to understand that there is no addition in John 3.16 to believing. It's just like we are Abraham. A matter of fact, if you look at the verse, John 3.16, what's the very first word? For God so loved the world. Now, the word for is attached to what he said before. So with this in mind, what I just got through saying, this is going to be true, those who believe in Jesus. What did he just say in John 14 and 15? Read there if you would. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, which is before verse 16. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoa, you mean John 3.15 sounds almost like John 3.16? It sure does. Now, he refers to a story in Numbers 21, in verses 6 through 9. That story is once again, after decades of leaving, after leaving Egypt, they started complaining about food that God delivered them from the Uber from heaven, from the Uber angels. Delivered right to their front door. Angel food, manna, they called it, which means, what's this? All they had to do is pick it up, and they had millions of ways to season it and cook it. Um, it was an infinite food for them, all the nutrients they needed. But they were complaining about that and a lot of other things. And they didn't realize how much God was saving them. Because there was always snakes in that desert. Lots of snakes that could kill them. But the God was causing the snakes to never come out of the holes. They didn't know that. And God just says, guys, without my provisions in a million different ways, you wouldn't make it. And as they murmured and complained, God just took the one element of his protection away. And the snakes started biting the children of Israel. And they were dying. And so they ran to Moses and said, help us. And God cried out to 
or Moses cried out to God. And the Lord said, look, grab a pole. They had flagpoles. I believe it was the flagpole of Judah. But grab one of those tribal poles with your flags on it and make a bronze serpent. Bronze, as you study the Old Testament, is the metal of judgment. Serpent is the snake, right? Evil, Satan, deception, wickedness. Put that snake on a pole, and when you are bit by a snake, look at the pole, and the poison won't kill you. That was it. And so, as the children of Israel, all they did was look at sin, at evil, at wickedness on the pole. He who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us. We look at the one bearing the poison, the sin, and immediately the bite of the snake has no power on hurting you whatsoever. Why is this so significant? Because there is no behavior additions touched to this. How do they believe? They just look. If they didn't believe, they wouldn't look. Right? And Moses said, hey, we're going to put a snake on a pole. Solves the whole issue. Oh, you're full of it. I needed some medicine. I needed a doctor. I needed some kind of thing to drink or some kind of pill to take. And, and, and this is a physical thing. And you're telling me, looking at a pole, that's ridiculous. And storm away. They could have done that, right? But they believed in the words of God. God said, this will cure you. So they looked. That was it. That was them believing. And then what happened when they looked? The poison didn't kill them. It's very, very important. If you don't get anything else today, get this. Pastors say that sometimes. If they, they feel that people aren't getting it. I don't know if you're getting it or not. It's not you guys. It's the guys live streaming at home. They're, they're really not paying attention. <laughs> so here it is. God could have easily, a matter of fact, it would have made sense to me if he said, look at the snake on the pole and stop your complaining. Stop your idolatry. Stop your stilling. Stop your evilness. They were pretty evil people, weren't they? Those Jews in the desert, they were dying there because of their hard heart against God and unbelief. If there's anybody that needed an and dealing with behavior, <laughs> it was these guys in the desert. Amen to that? I mean, these guys really needed some behavior changing in a big way. So it really would have made sense to me if the Lord said, look upon the snake on the pole and let's just stop complaining, stop being mean to each other, stop trying to kill Moses. I mean, there's a lot of things they needed to stop, but he did not. He said, believe, and he added no behavior items. And now he starts John 3.16 with four. Understanding this story and how it looked, how it worked. It's the same way it's going to work with me, the Messiah, 
So how is it that we are saved? Exactly the same way. We believe that Jesus, and we see him on the cross, and we believe in him. We are saved. We see the serpent on the pole as Jesus hanging on the cross. Now, we don't know how much Nicodemus in John 3 or the apostles really understood what Jesus was saying. I don't think they knew the cross was coming, even though Jesus had sort of plainly told them. They clearly didn't understand it. So in their minds, a snake on a pole and then believing on Jesus in the same way, we know now he was referring to the cross, right? I don't think at that moment they understood it. At least if they did, it was to a very limited degree. It didn't matter. All they had to do is believe on him. Why is it essential to let this word believe simply mean to be convinced or to be persuaded that something is true with no qualifying statements, such as if you're really committed, if you really try to live a righteous life after you believe? Because it would no longer be the gospel that's good news. It would look more like this. I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. Hey, I believed in Jesus and I don't know if I'm saved, why don't you believe in Jesus and you can also not know if you're saved? That's the gospel. Or come and follow Jesus and maybe after a lifetime of not falling away or departing from Christ, maybe with a lifetime of consistent, obedient Christian lifestyle, you will probably prove yourself to be worthy of eternal life. So let me get you started on your way to salvation. Here's a list of things that you might want to start doing in your life so you're saved. Bible reading, church attendance, tithing, serving in the church, good works, holiness, a righteous life, a blameless life, no lust, no greed, no bitterness, etc., etc., etc. So come and follow Jesus with our church. It's your best chance, uncertain as it is, to not go to hell and go to heaven. That is often what people have, consciously or subconsciously. That's not the message Jesus gave, was it? Whoever believes in him, no end, no qualifying statement. Do I think there should be a qualifying saying? Yes. Do I think Christianity should be this easy? No. There's a lot of people that are going to get in that probably shouldn't be in, like us real committed people. It just doesn't seem fair. Because we're really working it hard following and obeying Christ. And those bums out there that believed and didn't work as hard as us, they're going to go to heaven too. Yeah, this, it's our human nature to want to limit it, to want to change it. But to me, if it's not this way, it is not a gospel. Consciously, subconsciously, we just are not excited about sharing it. Because we know there's really not good news. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of stress. 
There's a lot of doubt. We're always sort of feeling guilty and shame. Hold it. I thought Christ took away our guilt and shame. Hold it. I thought we were guaranteed eternal life. Then why am I doubting it so much? But in John 3.16, it looks simple because it is simple. It is good. Should God make it harder, more selective than he does? Probably, but I'm sure glad he doesn't. Simply look with a heart of faith at Jesus and be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him. How much did Nicodemus know? Not much. How much did the apostles get what Jesus was saying, even at this moment? Probably not much. But did they believe in him? They sure do. The very next Oh, in chapter 6, <laughs> Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. <laughs> they freaked out and everybody left. And, and the, he said to the apostles, why didn't you guys leave? I know they had to freak you out too. And he said, where else can we go? You alone have words of eternal life. We believe in you. In John chapter 4, with the woman at the well, remember she had been married five times before. She was living with the guy in sin. He knew that she was coming out by herself, probably by a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or some kind of prophetic word the Father spoke into his heart that morning. And he says, would you give me a drink? And she says, you're a Jew and a man. This just never happens. I've never had a conversation with a the, with the man like this. I've never had especially a conversation with a the Jew. They don't give me the time of day. But you're not only wanting to have a conversation with me, you're wanting to take water, which every Jew would see as unclean and make them impure. And Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask him for a drink of water. And there in John 4, 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Notice there's no qualifying statement. If you quit living with this man in sin, if you start for the first time in your life living a good moral life after I give you that drink, if you drink and then you're faithfully drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking until you die. Then you can have eternal life. He says to her, if you take from me a drink one time, you have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit who will lead her into a true worship from out of her heart will gush forth from the Holy Spirit living in her streams of everlasting life and from that stream we can worship the father in spirit and in truth in john 11 do you guys remember this story where lazarus is dying and then he does die 
And Mary and Martha are really disappointed in Jesus. And he goes and says to her in, in John eleven twenty five, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Jesus said, whoever lives, who's physically alive right now, after you die, you cannot receive Christ in the status of death. It has to be before one dies. That's why there's such an urgency, is there not? Jesus said the fields are white into harvest, and we know that people are dying, especially in this COVID time, from disease and from suicide. After they die, there's no hope. But he says, if you're physically alive, he who believes in me, that person shall never die. He's saying spiritually, eternally. So if you're physically alive and you believe, spiritually, you'll never die, but have eternal life. Jesus asks, do you believe this? Believe what? In the words of Jesus. And what he said about himself. That he's the resurrection and the life. Mary says, yes, I believe. Then Mary says what she believed in. Jesus is Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Yes, the Son of God. The one the entire Old Testament pointed to as the one coming to save all men. Such beautiful words. Yes, Lord, I believe. If you are here today listening to this message and you have just never believed on him, to, have, to never perish, but have everlasting life, it's that simple. In, Christ, in having faith in Christ alone, and you can have forgiveness of sins, Saying a prayer does not save you. He didn't say, say a prayer and you'll be saved. Only believing in your heart. It's simply trusting in Jesus, believing in him for the forgiveness of sins. However, when a pastor leads people in prayer, it sometimes helps them as a mature believer to express the faith that's in their heart. Here's a prayer. God, I know that I have sinned against you, and I am deserving of punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him I could be forgiven. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thanks for your wonderful grace and forgiveness. Amen. If you pray that prayer in your heart, you are saved. For eternity. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices in that salvation. The Bible says that God at that moment writes your name in the book of life as well. This is the gospel we have to present somebody who is willing to forgive us. We don't deserve that forgiveness. It's simply out of a grace and a kindness in their heart 
they would forgive us, and then that relationship can be restored. How do we restore a broken relationship that Adam and Eve set in motion to be separated from God? It happens in the second Adam. It happens in Jesus. And he has done all the work. Are you going to grow in the knowledge of him? Are you going to understand more and more what it means? The cross, his blood, his grace, his heart, his mind. This is what a relationship does, isn't it? Been married 30-something years. Um, eight, seven, six, eight, eight years, 38 years. Seems like a day. That'll just give me some points. But, um, you know, you, you get to know that person inside out, right? You know what they like. You know what they hate. You try to stop what they hate, and it's not so easy. And, and you just meld into that one heart. That's, that's the beauty of a relationship. That's why I'm so thankful we're not going to a judge and, and he gives us a bunch of papers of clear, that we're cleared from not being in prison. That we come to Christ, we have a Savior who loves us and wants to bring us into that relationship with him simply by believing. So now we can go into the world Preach Christ and him crucified alone, Paul said. Nothing else. In 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I determined not to preach anything unto you except Christ and him crucified, that your faith would just be in that and that alone, not a bunch of other stuff that I, as a great theologian and philosopher, add to it sometimes. I just wanted it to be in the spirit and the power of God alone through believing in him and that he died on the cross for you. So men are not going to look unless they believe they're poisoned, right? Men aren't going to look to a savior if they don't think they need a savior. So God's Holy Spirit in John 16 says he's in the world convicting men of sin and of righteousness of judgment. Think about you before you came to Christ. I was raised in the church from the day I was born. But I can clearly remember three years of my life from 12 to 15 that I did not walk with God. And I remember at 15 feeling the weight of my sin. I was so angry, so bitter. My parents had divorced. My mom, my little sister and me packed up a big U-Haul truck. We left Arkansas, Texas, Texarkana on the border there. And we started heading to California. And I, I just remember it was dark. I was so full of anger. And I was there curled up in that U-Haul truck. And I just said, God, you have to help me. I need a savior. And I'll tell you what, in that moment, he changed my heart, took the anger away. The time I got to California, I was free. But unfortunately, I went to a church that told me every time I sinned consistently that I lost my salvation. And that terrorized me again. So that joy I had was so short-lived. 
because I, I, you know, I'd go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I would run to the altar. We had altars up there, and I would plead, beg God to forgive me one more time. And I, I felt like each week that his patience was getting thinner and thinner. That every time I went, that God was saying, I will be that much less willing next week to save you if you need it again. So make sure it sticks this time. And boy, with everything in me, I wanted my salvation to stick this time. But usually by that Sunday night, my sister did something that starts screaming at her or my mom would get mad and I'd slam a door. Or by Monday, I realized, man, I'm in trouble. But somehow in my mind, I thought I had to wait till church. And so I was petrified till the next Sunday morning where I could run down at the end of the sermon Often the pastor wouldn't even start the prayer and I would be fleeing down. Not me, there was others as well because we wanted to get saved again. It was no gospel. It was terror. And I, I remember the pastor saying, go share your faith. And I thought, the best thing I can do for the world is not put them on this roller coaster, is not put them in this place of terror the best thing I can do for them is not tell them anything about Jesus and hope they'll, they'll never find out. Because this is a horrible, doubtful, petrifying life. Do you, do you get it? Salvation, if it's not 100% secured by God, it's not a gospel. If there is going to be the possibility of me screwing this up, I will, right? I know there's no doubt in it. But this is why it says in, in Romans 4, it's apart from our works. So God alone guarantees it. It's not on us to save ourselves and to keep ourselves saved. Not even 90, not even 0.1, you know, 0.001%. God 99.9099999 does it. You just, he just needs your, one, your, your 0.00001% effort. That's all. Even then, we, we won't make it, will we? No, we are saved by God, and it's kept by the power of God. He receives us to himself, and he said, as many as believe on me, I'll make sure, read John 6, I'll make sure they never perish. I guarantee it that I will raise them up on the last day. It is so powerful. The person who comes unto me and believes are in my hand. And I lose nothing. Who has the other hand? The Father. <laughs> He's in the Father's hand also. And the Father is greater than I. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. The Father is the first. The word greater is solely in authority, not in quality of person. We only have one God. The Lord our God is one. But yet, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct. And he says, the Father's got you. I've got you. And then he tells us in Romans 4, and we're going to get there in Ephesians 1 eventually, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he has sealed you for the day of redemption. He's marked you with ownership. God owns us. We are his child. We've been adopted into his family.
Jesus got me. The Father's got me. The Holy Spirit's got me. We're, we shall never perish once you believe in him. So if you look to that serpent and have faith, it won't kill you. But a week from now, if you start complaining about that manna again, boom, it's off, and now the poison's going to kill you. So all of a sudden, you got people a week later and two months later and three years later, they kill over from the snake's poisoning because they didn't keep whatever it was they were supposed to do. Just that's it. One thing, don't complain about the manna. Complain about anything else, just not the manna. Would it be enough? Adam and Eve, they weren't even in sinful bodies. They were in the bodies that God created without sin. One little world, don't eat of this tree. And out of the gazillions of trees on the earth, they couldn't keep from eating a simple piece of fruit. Do do we understand our nature as humans? If there's any and with believing, we are toast. But God does not do that, and it is not of the Lord that we would add any and to it. Do not tie to it any behavior that is qualifying to make what God did sure. No qualifying statements, right? No fine print. You don't have to get a magnifying glass and and look at the bottom of the, the document and make sure. There is nothing there. Let's say it together, John 3, 16. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but shall have everlasting life. David says it in Psalm 23, surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And what? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, let the truth of your word penetrate our hearts, wash our minds with past bad doctrine, men meaning well, trying to help us be blessed by an obedient life, to have many rewards in heaven, but in putting a fear and a doubt upon us, they have not helped us. They have only kept us from enjoying our relationship with you enjoying the joy of salvation, and most of all, not being able to stop sharing about you. They created a gospel that was bad news. And consciously or subconsciously, we really have not wanted to share it. But Lord, let our heart rejoice with true salvation, and we would want to shout it to the rooftops to tell the guy at the gas station, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And we can go on our way rejoicing in our heart that another name's been written in the book of life. We know in our own human hearts, we wanna make it a little harder. We, we, we want to narrow up the gaze. We wanna make it more difficult so it feels more right to us. 
but it's simply humbling ourselves and believing only in you. So put that in our hearts today. By the power of your spirit, put it in our hearts. And let this week, Lord, let our just light so shine before men our, be the salt of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.